good. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Um, we're going to dive right into the message. Uh, I have 30 minutes. For once, this is actually not enough time for me to talk. Um, this is also going to be weird for me because as of COVID and everything else, uh, this is the first speaking, speaking engagement I've had in like a year and a half uh, that's in person. So normally I'm behind a desk. There's three monitors. I have notes. I have backup notes. I have recordings. If I say the wrong thing, I'll just broadcast that instead. But instead, you guys all get the real deal, and we go forward with it. So is that cool with everyone? All right. Who, um, as we talk about the year, uh, who went through um, working from home, right? You either worked from home, had an event at home, right? I know I worked from home all the time. Uh, maybe like community groups, right? If we were in a community group, that changed to online. That counts, right? Um, I know it was a big change for, for me at least going through it. And I know I worked with my team where I worked to kind of make it a thing. So since 2020 started to now, my company's probably hired like six to seven people. And you know how hard it is to kind of gauge someone if you've never met them, right? If you're now working with this person every day and I've never met them in person, um, their entire interview was over the phone, right? So I don't even necessarily know what this person looks like or, you know, um, can like read their body language, right? I forgot how big of a thing that was where reading someone's body language was very important. Um, but how you perceive someone can be a difficult thing now, right? I mean, even if I'm talking to, let's say, Tony, you know, before the experience, he's wearing a mask. Is he smiling? Is he not smiling? I would hope he's laughing at my jokes. We don't really know. But uh, that perception can be a hard thing, right? So I know when we started uh, my team, I made it a requirement day one that uh, you had to have your webcam on. I understand there's exceptions and that sort of thing, um, but the whole goal was to kind of have a better perception uh, for the team, right? To kind of learn what we're going through. And that's kind of what we're going to hit on today as we read through the message. So if you guys want to go ahead and start, we're going to be in 1 John 3. Uh, Adrian made a comment beforehand after he saw the scriptures that he asked if I was reading the whole Bible. I'm not reading the whole Bible, but there is a lot of scriptures. So it should all be on the screen and we can jump around from there. Starting in verse 11, it says, For this is the original message we should heard, we should love each other. And to be honest, I read this and I was like, I'm done, right? I don't have to read the rest of the scripture. We're talking about the original message. It tells me what it is. We should love one another. Done, right? I'm talking about love. That should be enough, right? But thank goodness God keeps going more into it. So um, when I think of this, when it says the original message, right? We hear love a lot. Love each other. Love your neighbor. Um, love as God did. All that good stuff. But it says this is the original message. So going back to work, for those of you who don't know me, I am a software engineer, um, and I've seen code that has existed for 30 years, 35 years, right? Stuff that um, you look at and you're like, I'm not going to touch that, right? Might work, might not work, um, but it's so old. It's been there since the beginning of time. You're like, if it's lasted this long, I'm not going to question it. It's just the way it is, right? And then no one wants to really get blamed for changing it either, right? So you kind of just leave it alone and that's what it's at. And I think that's what's going here, right? The original message since day one was we should love each other. By now, we're in First John. Look how far we are through the Bible. Uh, we should stop questioning it. We should love one another, right? And that's what we're going to go through. Going on to verses 12 and 13. So it says, we must not be like Cain, who joined the evil one, then killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because he was deep in the practice of evil, while the acts of his brother were righteous. So don't be surprised, friends. When the world hates you, this has been going on a long time. And he's not kidding, right? Cain was what? The third person to ever live, right? And we're going all the way back to that. Um, so I'm actually going to go ahead and jump all the way back to Genesis because I think it's important, right? Within two scriptures, we're talking about the original message, which is to love one another. And we're going back to 
basically the beginning of time. So starting in Genesis 4, verses uh, 3, it says, Time passed. Cain brought an offering to God from the produce, produce of his farm. Abel also brought an offering, but from the firstborn animals of his herd, choice cuts of meat. God liked Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering didn't get his approval. Cain lost his temper and went into a sulk. God spoke to Cain, said, Why this tantrum? Why the sulking? If you do well, won't you be accepted? If you don't do well, sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. Cain had the words of his brother. They were out in the field. Cain came at Abel, his brother, and killed him. And I love this. I'm going to read these next verse. I'm going to tell you what I pictured in my mind when I read this, right? So God said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, how should I know? Am I his babysitter? Now, I can't imagine why Cain said this, right? There were four of you on the earth. Now there's three. I can imagine God sitting up in heaven, looking down, and then being like, whoa, Abel, where'd you come from? Right? Like, no, this, is, this is the first, right? This is what has happened, right? But Cain at this point is still trying to deny the fact that he killed his brother. Haven't learned his lesson. His parents obviously taught him nothing that hiding does nothing. God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is calling, calling to me from the ground. From now on, you'll get nothing but curses from the ground. You'll be driven from this ground uh, that has opened its arms to receive the blood of your murdered brother. You'll farm this ground, but it will no longer give you its best. You'll be a homeless wanderer on the earth. And it gets even worse when Cain says to God, My punishment is too much. I can't take it. You've thrown me off the land. I can never, face, I can never again face you. I'm a homeless wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. God said to him, No, anyone who kills Cain will pay seven times over for it. God put a mark on Cain to protect him so that no one um, who met him would kill him. So imagine that, right? So uh, you have one brother, right? The first brother relationship in the Bible, essentially. Um, you kind of develop this hate for him already just because of an offering. You go out and kill him, and God takes that so seriously of you not loving your brother, you killing him, that uh, you can't even get out of your punishment, right? He's saying if you try to get out of your punishment, whoever does that will have seven times worse of whatever you did, Right? So pretty serious, right? We can all agree this goes all the way back to the beginning. We're talking about love, and Cain is the example of, hey, let's, let's not be like Cain is what it says. Let's not be that guy, okay? Going on to verses 14 and 15. The way we've known we've been transferred from death to life, name of the series, catching up on that there, is we have love our brothers and sisters. Anyone who doesn't love is as good as dead, Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know very well that eternal life and murder don't go together, right? So talking about the series now, Death to Life, this kind of explains how we move from death to life very clearly. Uh, it also kind of goes back to Cain, right? And is letting you know again, in case you didn't catch up on that, is anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, literally, that's what happened. Um, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know very well that eternal life and murder don't go well together. Um, so death to life, right? Even in the beginning part, it says uh, we've been transferred from death to life is that, our, is that we love our brothers and sisters, right? So love is kind of the point here that we need to understand. Love is what brings you from death to life. And then I can, you know, doing basic logic, if I don't love, I can go from life back to death, right? So love is what brings us out of death and into life. Going to Matthew 5. I told you I was reading the whole Bible today. So uh, Matthew 5 verses... 43 through 48. And this took me a long time to go back and forth. So Luke 6 says the same thing. 
Um, and I like Luke because Luke's a little more like slapping you in the face. He's like very more like giving you the examples of like, you know, very direct, right? And if you know me, that's the type of person that I am. But I'm, I'm reading out of, out of Matthew today because not everyone's me. So verse 43, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend. It is unwritten companion, hate your enemy. And he's going to say now, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies and he even goes one step further. So not only does he challenge you to love your enemies, and the next verse it says, let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. How many times have someone like prayed for patience, and next thing you know it's the person that you don't really want to deal with who's really annoying, and that's God's version of teaching you patience, right? Not every time, but more times than not, right? It's that type of thing where he's not only teaching you to love, but the fact that the person that you don't really want to love should be the one that makes you better, right? And he goes on. When someone gives you a hard time, res- respond with the supple moves of prayer, for then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless the good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all of you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? See, that's direct. That's what I like, right? If you love someone who's easy to love, do you really expect a reward for that? Do you really expect that to be like, you know, well done, right? Uh, Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do that, right? We all say hello. That's not being a Christian. It's just saying hello to someone because they said hello to you. It's going deeper. In a word... What I'm saying is grow up. And I love how that's italicized in the message version too. It's literally like grow up. You're a kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Now imagine this, right? Because he says grow up, your kingdom subjects, now live in it. So I'm imagining someone, right? Um, an orphan, right? Let's just take an orphan for an example. An orphan who necessarily didn't grow up Um, in a nice part of town maybe, or just doesn't know much. Maybe there's a broken family, that sort of thing. And then they get adopted, right? Let's say they get adopted by like Prince William or something like that, someone really fancy. It's going to be expected that after some time, that child when they're raised is going to live like royalty, right? We're being asked the same thing that when we're brought into God's kingdom, we're living like God, right? We're We're being called to love. We're being called to treat one another with respect. And it's like the same thing, right? I wouldn't expect, if I go out even, and I'm not even in royalty, if I expect to go out though, I want to do well to make sure that my dad has a good son under him, that I'm doing something that glorifies him. And it's the same, same thing as we go through. I just love how he tells you to grow up too. That's, it's a very Nathan statement. So verses 16 and 17, going back to John chapter three. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother and sister in need and have the means to do something, but in turn, uh, uh, sorry, to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears and you made it disappear. So, again, kind of being direct if you read through it, right? This is why I love the message. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live this way, right? Done. Again, I would have been done at verse 11 being like, cool, original message, love one another, done. But he's telling you now why we have to do it is because God sacrificed his life for us. If I go to Matthew 19, uh, verse 17. Again, this is me 
loving how this works. So Matthew 19, verse 17, it says, Jesus said, why do you question me? What's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. Simple as that. That's literally what it says. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. And you're like, all right, cool. I can do that. This is when he's talking to the guy who doesn't want to give up everything he owns to follow Christ, but he's like, I've done good works, that sort of thing. And then literally a chapter later, um, in Matthew 22, it says, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important thing on the list, but the second to set alongside it, love others as well as you love yourself. These two commandments are pegs. Uh, everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. So I flipped one page and it's going from, if I tell you to do it, do it. And what are the two things? Love me and love everyone else, right? Pretty clear, right? There's a lot of things in the Bible that you kind of got to go through and understand and fully, you know, get the context of what's going on. Um, Love is pretty direct when it's in the Bible. It tells you how to do it. It gives you examples of how to do it. It's very clear that it's important to God. It should be important to us. And then at the end of that verse, back in 1 John, it says, what happens, um, going a little bit before that, if you see some brothers or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears and you made it disappear. So going to business, who knows what a surplus is? Who knows what the office? Everyone watch the office? When Oscar's got to explain to Michael, like a five-year-old, what a surplus is, you know, the little lemonade stand, your dad gives you $10, you spent $7. So next year when you come back and do a lemonade stand, he's only going to give you $7. I think what's important about this, and I had to wrap my mind around it, is when I think of a surplus, it's very logical of did I come under by X amount, right? Did I come under by, in lemonade stand, $3? Did I come under by $100, $500? Um, but if I try to apply that same context here, I'm trying to say that there's a cap on God's love, right? So I need to understand that for every moment that I don't, I miss the opportunity to give out God's love. It's not like I'm that far and I can make it up elsewhere. Uh, There is enough love to go around. There's more than enough love to go around. So when it disappears, it is really gone, right? You lost that opportunity. You might come up again, but the point is, is that you're not trying to reach an attainable goal Um, There is no goal. You should just keep on loving and loving and loving. I think that's huge to think about um, is it's not the same as if, you know, there was a budget surplus and I can make up $200 somewhere else. Um, There is no limit to what it is. Going on to 1 John 3, 18 through 20. My dear children, let's not talk about love. Let's talk, let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're truly living, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down uh, debilitating self-criticism, even when there is something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. Um, Let's not practice, or let's not talk about love. Let's practice real love. I mean, how often, today's Valentine's Day. It took me a while to put it in my head that I was talking about love on Valentine's Day, like surprisingly too long. I'm the type of person where you could say it in the same sentence, and I'm still trying to figure out if there's a line I'm supposed to draw, but um, talk about practicing real love, right? We can all talk about love, right? I love pizza. I love my job. I love my car, um, all this sort of stuff. But when it comes to practicing real love, we kind of shy away from it, right? If I think back to being in a relationship or um, early on in the relationship or something like that, right, you're taught as a kid right? You're supposed to love everything. You know, you love your friends, all that sort of thing. And then you get in a relationship and then all of a sudden love is kind of like 
when am I supposed to say that word? When am I not supposed to say that word, right? And I think it's interesting, the fact that uh, we all want to say that we love one another, we all want to do it, but when it comes time and when it becomes hard where it's actually something that affects you to love something else, that you kind of hinder from it. You kind of fall back. You kind of are like, I don't know if I'm ready to make that step, or I don't know if I'm ready to actually go that far. And I think that's what God's talking about. When he's talking about practicing real love, right, he's talking about taking that extra step forward, taking that extra, I would say, commitment, right, to actually make the effort to go forward to love one person, uh, to love a neighbor, to love someone who might be challenging. So going to verse 21 through 24, and friends, once that taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out our hands and receive what we've asked for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. Again, this is God's commandment to believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other in line with the original command. As we keep his commandments, we live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us, and this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us. This is a little bit little bit to break down, right? So in the beginning it says, and friends, once that's taken care of, we're no longer accused or condemning ourselves. We're bold to be free before God. So he's talking about taking care of ourselves, right? We can only love someone as much as we love ourselves. And for us to practice love freely, we have to make sure that we're spending time in the word, that we're taking care of ourselves, and that I can actually be comfortable with myself before I love someone else. Um, It goes back to Luke. I think Luke was talking about this when I was debating between Matthew and Luke, where it was, why would I wipe a uh, smudge off someone else's face if there was a whole smear on mine? It's the same thing. Why would I try to love someone else if I don't, if I don't love me, right? Um, once we get past that, that we can truly start practicing real love, not accusing one another. Um, and that's great, right? We've been talking all day about what does love look like for me to love someone else? What does love look like uh, for someone else that I'm trying to love? But what does it look like as a church, right? We're doing this Death to Life series. How do we tie this back to, as a church, what is love supposed to look like? Uh, If I go to Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, If you've gotten anything out of following Christ, if if his love has made any difference in your life, in being a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me one, then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with, uh, with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I mean, that's pretty direct, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I mean it literally, I mean, uh, if being in community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you have a care, right? I mean, how does that not apply to someone if you're actually going to talk about love? How do you not have a heart? How do you not have a care for what he's about to talk about? And it's pretty simple, right? He said, do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, and be deep-spirited friends, right? And I think right now, if I think about the church, right, that's something that we need to do. It's easy for me to go out on my own, being isolated in 2020, never leaving my house, to go and try to love someone. But when it's a church and we have to do things together, I need to make sure that I have that community with my brothers and sisters inside the church to make sure that we can have that bigger impact taking that one step further, if the church can truly live out this love, if the church can really be in community, how great would it be if 
all the churches in the capital region can do that same thing within the United States, within the world, right? How good would it be to have that love not be one person, but be the body of the church and the body of all the churches, right? And I think that's where it makes the biggest impact, right? I can always love someone. I can always do something, but it's still one person. It's still one person trying to make a difference, one person putting an effort forward. But if I think about it, it really is the community. How many times did he mention that we have to be in community spirit, that we have to do things with one another? How powerful is everything in this scripture if we do it with one another? No difference. So I'm going to leave you guys with three questions. How do people perceive you is the first one, right? How many times am I going to try to go to someone? I'm going to try to love on them. I'm going to try to be friends with them but maybe I don't have the best perception, right? Maybe people don't perceive me very well, right? Um, Kind of the saying goes, I'm going to butcher it, but it's, you know, it takes a second to ruin my character, but a lifetime to build it back, right? It's going to be the same thing. You got to make sure that you're conscious about how you're being perceived and how you want to be. Are you practicing real love? That's number two, practicing real love. Are you actually going those extra steps to kind of make that commitment with love, right? Are you actually loving your enemies? Are you actually loving your neighbor? Are you actually putting that devotion, that time forward to have it considered to be real love? And then the last one is going to be, how am I going to love, right? How you love someone, I think, is the most important part because not everyone wants to be loved the same way. Not everyone's going to be in the same place as you. Not everyone's going to be in the same place that you think they are. Um, and every situation is different. Every person is different, right? You could figure everything out. You could have a great perception. You could be practicing real love. But if you're not conscious on how you're doing, how you're loving your neighbor, how you're loving someone, um, what does it really matter, right? You're going to destroy it at the last, last mile of the race. Um, I'm going to tell a story out of John 11 real quick. I'm going a little bit out of order. But um, to wrap it up, talking about the importance of how to love one another. John 11, if anyone remembers, is the story of Lazarus. So I'm going to paraphrase some of this, but stick with me. i got a point here. Uh, a man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. This is the same Mary who mess, uh, massaged the Lord's feet with the, with the oils and then wiped them with their hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love so very much is sick. When Jesus got the message, he said, the sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying his son. And, you know, this is when he gets into the disciples. He waits a few days to come back. They don't want him to come back. But that's, that's not the point that I'm trying to make here. So he goes back. He goes back to the tomb where Lazarus is going to be buried. And he runs into Martha and Mary. When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away. And many of the Jews were visiting Martha and Mary, sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. And then Jesus replied with, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now, resurrection and life, the one who believes me, even though or he or she dies, will live. And everyone who believes 
uh, who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? And she goes, yes, master. All along, I believed you're the Messiah, the son of God who comes into this world. Now, during this time, while they're talking, Mary finds out that Jesus is there also. Jesus comes out. Um, Mary runs out, going to the tomb, but instead comes to Jesus. Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet, saying, Master, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep, a deep anger uh, welled within him, and he said, Where did you put him? Master, come and see. And at this point, Jesus wept. Right? The one scripture in NIV, it's two words, Jesus wept. Right? And I think that's important. People will talk about, you know, God shows emotion, all this other stuff. It's, it's different when you read the whole context. And the Jews said, look at how deeply he loved him. And as we know, Lazarus comes out of the grave. He gets raised again. It's a great testimony. It's a great miracle that happens. It's kind of out of the ordinary, right? Dead man raised to life. Um, but the important is Martha and Mary in this story. So Martha and Mary both experiencing the same problem right? They are both mourning the loss of a brother, of a dear friend, Lazarus, right? Jesus comes here, and how does he do it? He loves both of them, but he loves them in different ways. Martha comes out, and she's logical. She's like, listen, I've accepted death. I know he's going to come back at the end, and Jesus challenges her and says, do you have enough faith for the impossible to happen right now? And that's the way that he shows his love to her in that moment, is he knows who Martha is and says, hey, um, I'm, you have faith, I understand that, but do you, want, do you believe for more? And she said yes. Mary, on the other hand, experiencing the same problem, the same experience of death, Jesus does not question her. He could have easily been like, hey, hold on a second, I'm going to raise him from the dead, then we don't have to worry about this. Um, he didn't. He sat down there and cried because that's what she needed. So when you go out to all these different people, and you're trying to figure out how to perceive love, are you going to meet the person or their problem? Right? And that's what you have to go do. When you go to someone, do you go there expecting to fix their problem? Is that considered love? Or are you going there to relate to the person? Right? Will you all stand with me? If you all can bow your heads for a moment, um, I just want to make sure today that as we're talking about love and ending the series for Death to Life, uh, that I give the moment for everyone to respond. So uh, with every head closed, I just want to, if you, know, you want to experience more of God's love, if you want to get to know God more, if you want to really understand more of what we're talking about or commit your life to, to Jesus today, I just want you to say, Jesus, I give you my heart. All right, and if that's your first time saying that today with every head down, if that was your first time, if you could just slip your hand up. We want to make sure that you get prayer. We want to make sure that you... Um, see the host team. Um, they'll be in the back ready to talk to you. They'll have a book for you. Um, but I just want to make sure that today that everyone knows the importance of love, the importance of love in someone else's life. And it's important that we all are conscious of how we go out and do it. It's not just about loving one another, but it's how we do it. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would just, um, today, Lord God, just give us a new outlook on love, that it would be something that we've heard a thousand times, but we make sure that we go out there and practice it, that we make sure that we're going out there and we're trying to meet the person and not their problem, that this is a time where we're not focused on everything that happened in 2020, everything that happened in someone else's life, everything else that's going on, but we're just sitting down and getting to know a person, love on that person, and really meet them where they're at.